I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right at the beginning of the New Testament. Mark, uh, chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 as we continue our series uh, through this book. The uh, good thing and also the challenging thing uh, sometimes about walking through a book of the Bible and covering basically all the passages that are there is that it brings to our attention uh, topics uh, sometimes that are difficult to hear, that have challenging words uh, for us, sometimes that are difficult and challenging for this one up here uh, even to communicate. As we turn to these verses today that you'll see, see deal with this topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, the first thing that I want to say is that as one who sits and spends time with couples, visits with them as they wrestle through these issues, and knows in my own heart and my own uh, challenges to live as I'm called to live in my marriage relationship, that I really just want to speak to you from God's Word today. And there are going to be things that uh, we'll share that are going to be challenging, that will stir up things for some of us where there's deep healing needed, that will challenge some of us directly in the, the path that we're headed right now in our lives, that will, I hope as well, encourage all of us to seek God's plan and God's purpose in this area of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Uh, as I speak to a group this large, I know for a fact that it's a group probably like the group that was gathered before Jesus when he was speaking about these topics, where we have uh, some gathered who are married and happily so. Some who are gathered married here and are in the midst of a big slump, big struggle right now. Others that are married and have made it through some of those struggles and can look back on them and see God's hand. We've got those here, I would imagine, who are divorced and nobody knows about it. Going back maybe early to a point in your life. We've got those here that are divorced and everybody knows about it, maybe more recently in your life. We have some here certainly are divorced and have uh, been essentially the offended party in that relationship and so have great pain, great sense of abandonment, even thinking about that relationship that was severed. We have others that may have been divorced at a time when they were out of step with the Lord. When you look and you say, I was out of step with the Lord at that point in my life and look back on it with repentance and with sadness. We have those here that are, of course, divorced and remarried. There's those here probably today who are thinking about divorce as I speak for whatever reasons. Some here who may have been widowed. Some here who would like to be married, but that hasn't worked out yet. We have some here, perhaps particularly young folks or even those at other stage in life who are not yet married, but who perhaps are living together, though not being married or interacting in marital intimacy outside of marriage. So taking the advantages of marriage without being married. And we probably have some here that God's called to celibacy as well as the scriptures describe. 
Uh, wherever we come from on this, we sit in the middle of a culture, and this is nothing new, but we can certainly go back to the late 70s and 80s when some of the laws about marriage and divorce changed in our land to where the vision of to have and to hold for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, has been greatly let go in our culture. And even in a culture where we're now apparently discussing whether marriage should even be between a man and a woman. That's where we sit. And the beautiful thing, also the challenging thing is, God's Word speaks to this. God's Word speaks to this in a way that I trust will bring some of us to a place of giving forgiveness, some of us to a place of seeking forgiveness, some of us to a good word of caution in a pathway we're headed, uh, some of us to a place of repentance with the things that God's called to us. Probably all of us, every single one of those things, I would imagine. And so I invite you with that in mind to turn with me again to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Stand with me. I'll read aloud as you read along silently. God's word to us, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. For from the beginning, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about the matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You may be seated. And let's pray again. Oh, Father, we need your help to have eyes to see, ears to hear, your word to us today. Oh, Lord, give us your vision for what the marriage relationship should be and what your word says about it. Let us receive it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, admittedly, some of our marriage struggles can be on the humorous side, can't they? As I have Quoted, I'm sure, before from the comedian George Burns. He said at one point that marriage starts the moment moment a man and a woman become one. The trouble starts the moment they begin to decide which one. Our struggles as married couples, or as we consider this matter of marriage in our lives, are sometimes humorous. They're also sometimes very serious. 
as one book written back, I believe, in the early 80s, Divorce, How and When to Let Go, says this. Yes, your marriage can wear out. People change in their values and lifestyles. People want to experience new things. Change is a part of life. Change and personal growth are traits for you to be proud of, indicative of a vital, searching mind. You must accept the reality that in today's multifaceted world, it's especially easy for two persons to grow apart. Letting go of your marriage, if it's no longer good for you, can be the most successful thing you've ever done. Getting a divorce can be a positive, problem-solving, growth-oriented step. It can be a personal triumph. I've read that quote about ten times this week in preparation for today. And I'm still not sure which is more disturbing to me. That someone actually wrote it or that we, not just the culture out there, we as a church community and culture are embracing that as reality. Jesus speaks to this in these verses today. And if you want to follow along with me in your worship guide, you can. There's a section for notes at the end of the worship guide. And what I want to focus on is this positive statement, this goal, this vision, this main idea that I think would come out of these verses today. And that is that because God created and defined marriage, we should cherish and uphold it. We should cherish and uphold it. And as I walk through this message, I already shared, I hope you heard my heart of where I'm coming from on this and recognizing where all of us are, the different places we are. But I want us to remember as well uh, two bedrock foundational assumptions that we really should have with every sermon we hear every time we open God's Word and read it for ourselves. Number one, God's Word is not written for our evaluation, for us to kind of sit over it and decide whether we want to receive it or not. God's Word is written to to sit above us, to be a good guide and path for our lives. As Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. As believers, one of the foundational things that we say when we realize we need Jesus Christ, we realize we're sinners, part of what we're saying, what I'm saying is that we realize we don't know how to go through life the way that I think and what I think will be best for me and even best for my marriage. I don't know. I need God to speak into my life, and I need to follow Him in trust, hear His Word. So that's a bedrock assumption. The second thing that I want us to keep in mind as well is that we don't secure anything in our relationship with God, either by our performance and feeling like we've got a good marriage and something to commend to God and say, look at me, I've got this thing figured out and together, nor by the failures or struggles that we've experienced in this area of marriage or divorce. 
Those things don't keep us. Our failures don't keep us away from the forgiving hand of God. His forgiveness is extended to us. We read the Hosea passage earlier about how God loves a wayward bride. We are all wayward ones. For those of us that may have not struggled or don't have as many struggles in marriage, I'm sure we got a whole bucket load in other areas of our life. So we need to keep those things in mind. We also want to keep in mind God's purpose, God's plan for marriage. I've got that jotted down, I think, a bit in your sermon notes. Uh, A, that God put together marriage. I'm just giving you the biblical uh, perspective on it. And this is all in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Right at the beginning of creation, God has established all of this. Marriage is put together for pro- procreation, certainly. Genesis 1, verse 28, increase, multiply. Also talks there about what we call dominion, not just uh, facing one another, but locking arm in arm and facing the world together. That's A. B, first certainly for companionship. We read it in our confession of faith today. The beautiful reality that God saw that the man was alone and needed a companion. So certainly companionship is a good benefit and blessing for marriage that we ought to pursue. And then uh, we'll call it self-giving which would include the rest of that Genesis chapter 2 passage, including marital intimacy, giving to one another, and the the love we give, selfless love that we seek to learn in the marriage relationship. Those are foundational things uh, for us. And so as we keep those in mind, I I want us to recognize, too, what what we just can't talk about today because of time, what we can't focus on. So you'll know that we're intentionally not talking about these. One is, we're not really going to have time to talk about marriage roles, although I commend to you, I guess it would be fall 2010 when we went through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 and following, that sermon that you could probably find online if you want to listen to what I had to say about it, but uh, Ephesians chapter 5 certainly speaks to that, but we don't, we won't be able to focus on that today. There's also passages that talk about what's going to happen with our marriage and heaven and how that's going to change. Can't really focus on that. The Song of Solomon in the Old Testament speaks a lot about physical intimacy in marriage and the beauty of that, the majesty of that. That's not really our focus for today, although that's a a good good thing. Uh, The challenge for those who are perhaps in your younger years and are not yet married and are wrestling with those uh, temptations and trying to live a godly life in respect to maybe somebody you're dating before marriage. We don't really have time to focus in detail on that, nor will we really have a lot of time to talk about the overarching picture that we've tried to lay out earlier in the worship service through the passage in Hosea, that that Jesus is a groom to us, his bride, and that he loves us deeply. That's a, a picture that's behind all the other things we see in Scripture about marriage. What we do want to do is look at what the Old Testament says about it, leading into what Jesus says in these verses. We're going to focus in. This is the passage we're looking at today. What does it say? What does Jesus say related to those Old Testament realities? And then we'll take just a moment to touch on what the Apostle Paul says as well. So first, let's look at the Old Testament background. I've already mentioned the Genesis 1 and 2 passages. I just think it's so valuable, though, for us to remember that from the very beginning, the very beginning of creation from the very beginning of God's Word, marriage is such an important reality that God speaks to us about it. 
Exodus 20, of course, in the Old Testament, we see the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, a couple of them certainly relate very directly. You shall not commit adultery. But even the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. And then what is the specific example it gives about coveting? There's lots of things we could covet, but it's interesting. The Ten Commandments say, shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So the Ten Commandments certainly speak to it. Hosea, I've already mentioned, let me say again a little bit more. Hosea, just at first read, if you open that book in the Old Testament, read it, it seems bizarre. I will just tell you. It is this guy, Hosea, who was a prophet of God, and he is told to marry this wife, Gomer. Gomer is her name. And he is told to reach out to her time and time again, even though she is going to be an unfaithful bride to him. The picture being of our unfaithfulness to God and yet his faithfulness to love us continually. And then we have this Deuteronomy 24 passage. And if you want to turn there, you can. This is what Jesus is Uh, answering when the Pharisees ask him. So, you know, when you're wondering sometimes in the New Testament, what is this passage about? The best thing is to take a look and find the passage wherever it is in the Bible and go read it, at least give it a shot, see what you learn. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. And this is what the Pharisees come to Jesus and and toss this this little grenade out to him. They want to see how it's going to explode, see where the shrapnel is going to hit. It says, when a man takes a wife... And marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her out of the house. And she departs out of the house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce that puts it in her hands and sends her out of the house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that would be an abomination before the Lord. Is this a permission for someone to do whatever they want to with their spouse? Not at all. We're going to see more about it in a minute. But in fact, it says several times, if this situation happens, and if this situation, and if this situation, then do this. It's actually a protection in that ancient world of basically having a wife-swapping scenario, the protection against the wife just being swapped back and forth. And yet the Pharisees are using it in a very different way in their time. And I want us to hear a little bit about this. I, I know this is a little context, a little background. But at the time of Jesus, okay, so following up on you know, years of, of, of the Scriptures that we've already cited, now in the time of Jesus, you have two schools. And we think in our day that we've kind of arrived at this time, breaking free from a sort of traditional uh, view, perhaps we would call it, of marriage. Well, in Jesus' day, this is nothing new that we've come upon. There were two different schools of thought. Uh, one was maybe a little bit stricter, but the other school of thought, this gentleman named Hillel said that, you know, if, you, if your wife burns the toast one time, okay. She burns the toast two times, oh, man. She burns a toast three times, it's okay to write her a certificate of divorce. We're not the first culture that sought to have easy-flowing marriage relationships with no long-term commitment. So Jesus isn't speaking to some abstract thing that's unrelated to our time. speaking very specifically to something that's related to us. 
And I want us to see this not only because it shows us where the Philistines are coming from, but it shows us where Jesus is coming from. You remember about two months ago we looked in our series in Mark at the the passage about fasting and about the Sabbath. And we saw that the Pharisees kind of had a strict and really rigid approach to that, kind of legalistic. And Jesus still wanted to give some good guidelines for us with it and and, and talk about the benefit of the Sabbath and fasting, but he also wanted us to keep a good perspective. And so he seemed kind of loose and lax, kind of a liberal on those issues. Here the tables are turned, aren't they? Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they're saying, you know, this is how we do it. This is how we handle it in our culture with marriage relationships. And Jesus says, no, no, this has been created by God. It's meant to be lasting. And what I want you to see here, just a broader principle beyond our passage today. Jesus is not licking his finger and testing the wind to see what his perspective is going to be. He's not a politician that's trying to uh, gauge the polls and give the best uh, view that will likely get him elected. He's not a professor trying to do some sociological experiment so he can write a paper. He's not trying to fit in with his friends or those around him. What he's doing, whether he sees it, seems it sometimes on the strict side or sometimes on the really loosey-goosey side, is that he is simply trying to preach and teach what God's Word says for us. And that's good. And that's good. Because that means we can hear what he says. We can hear it and receive it. And hopefully in the same vein that we're not testing the wind to see what our culture's telling us about. Because in every time, that is shifting. That is a shifting wind. Instead, we can grab hold of the goodness of God's word and his truth. That's the background. Let's hear what Jesus has to say. It's pretty direct. We read it. Earlier, I will go ahead and mention, we won't have time to look there, but in the other Gospels, in Matthew and in Luke, in several places, Jesus adds the notation that in the case of marital infidelity, physical marital infidelity, that there is that exception, that acceptance uh, for a divorce. There is that permission. So I want you to have that in the background, and yet at the same time, in Mark, He's focused in. What he says in Mark, he's focused in on that permanency of marriage in a particular way. And so, A, under number two, we see in this passage back in Mark, we are, that marriage is really intended to be a permanent bond. That's the way God designed it. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's the way God designed. Verses 6 through 9, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh, be united in really a a mystical and powerful way. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And then Jesus, in doing this, addresses what the Pharisees have said. And that is that the, uh, the passage in Deuteronomy is a concession to human hardness of heart. It's not the ideal. You notice how Jesus asked them, what did Moses command you? Did they say anything about the Genesis passages that we've now looked at a couple of times? Did they say anything about Exodus? You know, the Ten Commandments always a good fallback. Even if you don't, even if you don't have anything else in your pocket in that Old Testament Bible knowledge, the Ten Commandments would be a good place to fall back to. The only thing they've got to say is the passage of Scripture that they've now twisted and manipulated to accommodate what they want to do anyway. 
hey, Jesus says you guys have got it wrong in this regard. Verses 10 and 11, 12, this is a challenging word. Jesus says, if a person divorces his wife and marries another, this is saying a, a divorce without any kind of biblical grounds, marries another, that person commits adultery against the wife and vice versa, Jesus says. Now, obviously, if someone has had a divorce in their past, now been remarried, to sever that current marriage and go back to that previous relationship would thereby sever another marriage. So that, that's not going to work out. But Jesus is giving a word of, of a caution and encouragement to those who have maybe been through a divorce without biblical grounds for it. And then D, Jesus says that there is this reason, this exception. Again, it's in several other passages of Scripture of sexual immorality. And the reason that's so important of physical, physically breaking the marriage bond is that there's actually something physically and spiritually together. We can be a little over-spiritual in our Christian worldview sometimes in the sense that we think kind of we can do whatever we want to spiritually and then the physical can be a separate thing. Those two things can be separated. And certainly uh, when we die and so forth, there is some kind of forced separation there. But as we are in this body, spirit and soul, the two things cohere together. The two things cohere together. And that's why it's so important what Jesus says about this exception that he gives to allow for a divorce only in the situation where there's been that physical separation of marriage. Okay? That's a lot. Got one more section to cover. And then I'm going to give us some practical application. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's in toward the back of your Bible. We'll see if we can digest one more passage about this. And I'll have some points for us to apply. There's a lot here. I'm going to go through this very fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But it relates so much to our topic that we, we need to look at it today. Chapter 7, starting in verse 8. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about some of these matters. There's a whole chapter here on marriage and so forth that I would commend to you. But he says, To the married and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Okay, some of you young people, maybe some folks that aren't yet married here, this is a passage that applies to you. It says that's part of what marriage is for. We're moving in that context where we get to know somebody and getting together to form that relationship. We're seeking to honor God and be pure in our relationship until we're married in the physical, sexual sense. Uh, and then it reminds us if, if, if that's something that is getting out of control, it might, it might be time to get married. It might be time to make that lifelong commitment. Second part of this, it says in verse 10, To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. What's that saying? Saying that, hey, sometimes there is a place, uh, especially uh, couples who are having a whole lot of trouble. Maybe some of us have tasted this in here. Things can get a bit caustic. Things can get maybe forceful even. And there's a place It's reminding us that there may be a place for separating some distance between the two of you. Or where there's been this 
case of infidelity and there needs to be some forgiveness and restoration. There might be a place for having some space so the, the spouse that has offended, the spouse that has fallen into sin can, can really show repentance and show that they've changed and want to come back to the relationship. But the scriptures are saying even in that situation, the goal ought to be to come back together ultimately. And then these last verses, follow with me. I know this is a lot and it's challenging to our hearts too, but follow with me. It says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, this is verse 12, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? What's Paul talking about there? Sounds kind of convoluted, really not that complicated. You got a couple who has gotten married, and then one of them's come to realize the redemptive love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, come to surrender their life to that relationship. Now you got, and the other one has decidedly not. Now you got two things kind of operating out of sync. So you can understand why the people in the Corinthian church said, what do we do with this situation? And then we got kids there too. What's their status? And the Apostle Paul says again, reaffirming for us. I know it's, it's a hard word. I know it's especially hard word for those of us that have maybe been through a divorce or are thinking about divorce. He says this marriage bond is so strong that even if they're totally out of sync spiritually, if the one who's not walking with Christ wants to stay in that relationship, keep on with the marriage. If they are abandoning the relationship, if they've walked away from the relationship, then, yeah, okay, let that go. Let that go. There's a lot here in these verses today for us. I want to bring together a couple of application points. One, these verses call us to categorically reject as believers any definition, any picture of marriage that's not laid out by God and defined in His Word. This goes for acting married without being married. This goes for being married and not really working and trying to build our relationship with each other. This goes for pursuing any kind of relationship outside of marriage, even if we're frustrated and disappointed in our marriage. certainly goes for the challenge in our own culture of this idea of so-called gay marriage. We're called to reject any perspective that's outside of God's plan and God's purposes. Then we're called to uh, recognize something as well. And I don't even have much time to talk about it. Obviously, all of us who are married, you make a decision to get married. Those who are thinking about being married, you'll make a decision at one point. It's interesting in this Mark passage and several other places around the Bible, even though they had a sort of more arranged marriage structure, I guess, in certain biblical times, that it always says what God has put together. Let not man separate. Isn't that amazing? We make the decision, or even if it was some family decision that was made, it was a man decision human decision, but the Bible always says that God has put us together so we shouldn't separate 
What does that tell us? That tells us husbands and wives, much as we have difficulties with one another, as much as we struggle, we should recognize that God's sovereignly reigning over our marriage relationship. He's put us together, not because we're going to be perfect or perfectly love each other, but to teach us how to do that, to teach us about his grace. And that leads us to our last point. Not just called to reject the culture's view or recognize God's sovereignty, but to receive God's power. Receive God's power. Whether you're trying to figure out how to forgive in a relationship where there's been some great damage caused to the marriage bond, or whether we're trying to figure out before marriage how to remain pure and leading into that marriage, or whether we're figuring out how to receive healing where we've been offended and hurt in divorce, or whether we're seeking wisdom and grace and repentance where we have been the offending party in a divorce, whatever those situations are, we can't handle it in ourselves, can we? We've got to have power from outside. And God promises to give that power as we seek Him. I put at the end of your worship guide notes some uh, places to go to read some more about this, to think some more about this. We may, uh, Harrison and I have been talking, maybe in the fall we would even do a a life group series and just focus on marriage because we haven't uh, done that for a while. We'll see. There's also a resource there, a website uh, for Route 1520, which I think is a a helpful local ministry uh, founded by a couple that were married got uh, divorced, and then now are remarried back to one another and have had that relationship restored, which is a beautiful thing that they share about. In all of this, in all that I've talked about today, the last thing I want to say is that we need one another. We don't just need one another as couples. We need one another as a church family. That's part of why, as a church, we're trying to do life together. We're trying to invite people into small group settings, invite people into life group settings, because we need each other. We need to encourage one another in our relationships, in godliness in our marriage. Uh, we, we, We really can't do this alone. We need the wisdom of our church family when we're facing difficult decisions. We need that encouragement from one another. Let's seek that out. And as we do, let's recognize again what the Scriptures teach, that marriage is something that God's created and He's defined. So we really ought to cherish and uphold it as he's called us to. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray for all of our hearts. Father, I ask that you would take your word, uh, take anything that I've said that wouldn't be in line with the truth and sift it out. I pray that all that was said would be glory, glorifying and pleasing to you. And I just pray for each one of us as all of us have something that's been said, something from your word on this matter that would uh, strike us, would challenge us, would comfort us, maybe uh, bring us even to some places of repentance. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts. I pray, Lord, for uh, some marriages to really be restored. I pray for a number of marriages to really be strengthened as we gain your vision and perspective for it. I pray for young people and other folks that aren't yet married to really make a, a fresh commitment to honor you not take the uh, not take the blessings of marriage outside of that marriage bond i pray for folks perhaps that have been uh, divorced and there wasn't really any biblical reason for it that somehow lord 
even if that, that mountain seems awfully high, that you might bring restoration of that marriage relationship. I pray that we just see you glorified in our midst. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.